0: hey everybody welcome back to the podcast (laughs) i'm your host mandy and as always we're gonna have some fun paranormal type stories i guess um we do a whole bunch of different stuff on here i say we but it's just me (laughs) um it's paranormal investigation exploration sort of looking at paranormal conspiracy type type topics i guess (laughs) um And as always, you can find us on the Podbelly Network. Check out podbelly.com for all your wonderful podcast needs from other paranormal shows, conspiracy shows, Star Wars shows, true crime, sort of a mixture of any podcast that you could want to listen to. So head on over there and check out all the fantastic podcasts from the, the Podbelly family. As of all, well, you can check out podbelly.com slash shop. Get some Podbelly merch with fun Kevin Bacon, the little piggy on there. Um, there's some really great t-shirts and hats and hoodies and fanny packs some laptop sleeves and every kind of cool swag that you could get for, for Podbelly. So definitely head over and check it out and help us grow the Podbelly network. So today's episode is another one from Northern Ontario. Um, It's a story, well, I guess it's technically a story. It's a topic I found while I was looking for cryptids in Northern Ontario. Um, This season I'm trying to do a lot more Northern Ontario ones. And I was trying to find out if there's any sort of cryptids in the area that may have had more famous stories about them. And one thing that always comes up in Northern Ontario, and especially in Canada, is the Wendigo. And I found this really interesting topic of a wendigo killer from my neck of the woods, one that I'd never heard of. Um, so I thought it was really cool to do a topic on that. So that is Jack Fiddler, the wendigo killer. Um, so Jack Fiddler, we'll go into a little bit of his his history. He was also known as, and I really apologize if I butcher this name, um, but, but Ojibwe Cree names are really hard to speak, um, if you're not Ojibwe or Cree. So I really apologize for this, but his, um, Ojibwe name was Swano Gizhigo Gabau, um, and it's from the Ojibwe Cree. So, <laughs> Swano Gizhigo Gabau, meaning he who stands in the southern sky. For the rest of this episode, I'm going to refer to him as Jack, because I don't want to butcher his name out of um, my respect for the indigenous people of the area. So he lived from 1839 to approximately September 30th, 1907. He was considered a chief and shaman of the Sucker People among the Anishinaabe in what is now Northwestern Ontario, which is where I live. And he was arrested in 1906 for the alleged murder of a Wendigo, but he committed suicide before the trial took place. So going a little bit into his background, um, Jack was born in the upper Severn River near Sandy Lake, Deer Lake, and North Spirit Lake in the 1830s. So this area now is, it's still um, Sandy Lake and Deer Lake, and it's really, it it pretty much is Northwest Ontario. It's really close to the Manitoba border. Um, So I want to say it's probably like, I don't know, maybe six seven hours ish from where i am going west um but that's sort of the area of it is right right for sure northwestern ontario uh his father pimi chikag which means porcupine standing sideways was a mysterious figure from the east who was sort of adopted into the the sucker family clan during the previous century and was a respected political and spiritual leader among those people. The Suckers were not the only group in the area. They were allied with the Pelican and the Sturgeon clans and also had contact with the Crane clans in the area. The clans spoke a unique form of Ojibwe Cree dialect of the Anishinabe language and had contact with the Ojibwe at Lake Winnipeg and the Oji Cree um, that were further north and east from from the area. So there's a lot of different Um, clans in the area, a lot of Ojibwe, Ojibwe Cree, Cree people. Um, It's a really rich um, indigenous area of people and culture and history where where I live in Northwestern Ontario. So Jack grew up during a period of sort of difficulty I guess in the area. Um, There was a lot of fur trade and over trapping because of it that had left the forest sort of really depleted of animals and Where I live, there's actually a fort that was a fur trading fort, which is kind of cool that you can kind of go back and see like the fur trade history of, you know, between the 1850s, 1900s. So that's a a big part of the area and what was happening um, in those times. And so with declining numbers of furs and sort of lower demand and more opportunities in the West, the Hudson's Bay Company, which was the big company in the area, had abandoned their post at Island Lake for much of the early 19th century, which forced a lot of the sucker clan to travel to Big Trout Lake or Little Grand Rapids for trade, which is pretty far away. And as a young man, um, Jack would have sort of traveled in the area with the, the boats in between the companies bringing fur around. So that was sort of how he grew up was part of the, the fur trade. By the 1860s, the number of fur trade-bearing animals had increased again that the um, Hudson's Bay Company decided to reopen their post and Jack sort of became one of the the leaders of the sucker people around the same time. He had a lot of visits at the the fur trade post. He developed an ability to fiddle um, (laughs) and built quality instruments which the, the Hudson's Bay Company traders frequently gave English nicknames to invigil- individual natives and designated a whole class by the name of the primary leader or an arbitrary English surname. So that, thus the Sturgeons were known to the traders and later um, by the surname Ray or Mamikizik. The Pelicans after their leader were given the name Mikus. The Cranes after their leaders, Kekajamek and Kekpeten. And Jack and his brother, Pesquan, became Jack and Joseph Fiddler. And the suckers often appear in the records as the Fiddler tribe. So, I mean, I guess it kind of goes into the whole um, indigenous people losing their heritage and names. But I'm not going to get into that on the show because it's not a (laughs) political type show. Um, So like his father before him, Jack became a famous shaman for his alleged ability to conjure animals and protect his people from spells. Most importantly to a lot of um, the other people in the region, he could allegedly successfully defeat the Wendigo. Um, I'm going to go into more what a Wendigo is a little bit later, but right now, a Wendigo is basically a cannibalistic spirit that would possess people during frequent bouts of famine and disease. So, that's kind of where Jack kind of got his started it he got more a bit more famous with that um, in his life he claimed to have defeated you know between 14 and 17 Wendigos I found varying accounts um, so somewhere in those numbers which seems crazy high to me that there's you know, <laughs> even that many Wendigos in the area never mind having successfully defeated them and apparently some um, some were sent against his people by enemy shamans were sent to attack them and take over them and others remember have his own band who were taken with insatiable and curable desire to eat human flesh. So that's basically what you know what wendigos are when you get down to the basics of it. Um, Fiddler was usually asked by family members to kill a very sick loved one before they turned into a wendigo. So if someone had been sick with some kind of disease or if there was a lot of famine in the area and someone was sort of dying from that they wanted to sort of I guess euthanize them before they became a wendigo. Um, in some cases the wendigo him or herself would have to be euthanized according to necessary rights and Feather's own brother Peter Flett was killed after turning wendigo when the food ran out on a trading expedition. So he has quite a extensive history with wendigos with Ones in the area with people in the area and knowing that he has sort of skills and abilities. But it seems like it may not be actual like skills if he's just killing them. I don't know if it's like a shamanistic way that he is sort of um, performing like maybe last rites before they pass. And there's never really said how how they're euthanized. <laughs> how he actually defeats windigos or kills windigos. Um, it's something that sort of, that I found, um, really other than one case. So (laughs) I guess he's just a Wendigo shaman person. (laughs) Um, Hudson's Bay traders and Cree missionaries were very well aware of the Wendigo legend in the area. Um, it was something that, that was a big part of Um, the area and the indigenous people and their culture and way of life and their traditions and it was you know stories passed down from generations so it's one of those things where it's a local like legend of the area so a lot of the people that came you know coming and going were very aware of the the legend Um, though they often explained the wendigo as mental illness or just superstition um, regardless several incidents of people turning into wendigo and eating human flesh are documented in records of the hudson's bay company whether it was from people who were part of the company witnessing it with their own eyes or whether it was just hearing it from other traders in the area when they came or hearing it from the indigenous people themselves so there is records of it which is kind of strange i mean can you imagine being a fur trading company and you're Having to write down legends of people turning to cannibal and eating human flesh. (laughs) Um, So Jack's reputation also grew among these groups and he was often approached multiple times by Cree ministers at Island Lake and asked to bring Christianity to his people. He respectfully declined the request. He did not want to convert to Christianity and by the beginning of the 20th century the sucker people were among the only indigenous people in north america living in a traditional manner with almost no government and position on legal and religious matters so up until that point they were sort of the last holdout, i guess um to stay away from the canadian government and the religious you know conversion to christianity by a lot of the ministers in the area and it's one of those things again like you get into the politics of it where, you know, these people come over from England and Europe and sort of come to the new land and want to convert everybody to their way of life and want to change their policies and govern them and change their religious views. And it gets into that whole big mess that I don't want to get into. (laughs) So we're not going to turn this into a political podcast. There's enough of that in the world. And I'd rather focus on the (laughs) Wendigos. So in early 1907, Two members of the Northwest Mounted Police so you may be familiar with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police they're the ones that are sort of federal you know the Mounties you see with the red uniforms and their brown hats riding the horses and then provincially we have provincial police so in Ontario we have the OPP which are the Ontario Provincial Police which are sort of like I guess state troopers would be in the states so similar to that and then you have the local police departments So back in the early 1900s, we also had the Northwest Mounted Police. So there was different divisions of the Mounted Police that weren't just the Royal Canadian ones. This was sort of when Canada wasn't really fully Canada yet. We were still under British rule. So these were the the Northwest Mounted Police of the area. Um, So two members of the, the police had been visiting Island Lake. And they heard of Jack's ability and power against the Wendigo from... Norman Ray, who was an in-law of the Fiddlers, they learned of pack <laughs> I'm really apologizing these names. I tried practicing them, and it's really hard when it comes to the time. So let's go. Wasapakui, a woman who was suspected of being possessed by by a Wendigo, possessed by some sort of creature, and she had been choked to death with a piece of string by Jack and his brother. So, seeking to introduce Canadian law in the north, the Mounties decided to take, you know, take this opportunity to to make an example of it, and they went to the Sucker Camp at Deer Lake and arrested Jack and Joseph Fiddler for the murder. Um, for most of the Sucker people at the time, the Mounties were the first white people that they had actually ever seen. So again, these communities were sort of very isolated and were the last ones to sort of be taken over by white people that came over from Europe and even though Jack and his brother Joseph were you know traders and working with Hudson's Bay Company as well as other um, fur trading companies the majority of the people in in his clan were sort of just stayed in the village and did their own thing so they didn't really have dealings with other people and so these were the first white people that they had seen um, at the time the elderly brothers were charged with murder and Um, the woman was Joseph's actually daughter-in-law they were held at Norway house to await trial meanwhile newspapers across Canada picked up the story and printed the sensational headlines of murder and devil worship so it's not really devil worship when you're like pushing out bad spirits I guess because they're not worshiping the devil they were trying to get rid of bad spirits, and I guess because they're shaman and everyone's trying to push their Christian beliefs on people at the time, if you're not Christian, you're a devil worshiper. So of course they took the opportunity to have, you know, the headlines of that and sensationalize the whole, the whole situation. Um, so while they were awaiting trial um, across the country, people had demanded convictions and the the police saw an opportunity for fame and advancement so they're trying to you know capitalize on it on the situation to try and change the views of the people in the area and while jack was actually in custody waiting trial he escaped during a walk outside and he later hanged himself in a tree and was found later on His brother Joseph still went to trial. Um, Angus Ray, an eyewitness, testified that they had killed the woman. Um, She was in deep pain and incurably sick, according to the custom of people who are not aware of Canadian law. The, The courts pressed the Wendigo issue, and Ray admitted that it was a belief among his people, and that Jack and Joseph were the ones who usually. Asked to euthanize the very sick and prevent Wendigos. Um, despite some other unreliable testimony and the pleas of missionaries and the traders, Joseph was convicted and sentenced to death by the magistrate and ordered to hang. So it was probably one of those trials where they didn't really get proper representation, if any at all, at the time. Um, they used it as sort of a way to make an example of someone who wasn't conforming to the government and didn't want to have Their religious beliefs you know questioned and changed to Christianity and the courts probably just really jumped on that to make an example use the headlines use it for further advancement in the area so following Joseph's conviction some question whether the brothers should have been punished for committing an act that wasn't an offense in their culture so even though it may have been a crime to Canadian law they didn't really fall under the governance of Canadian law at the time so how can they be punished for something that wasn't a crime in their own culture. Um, for evidence of this one needed to look no further than Fiddler's statement to police in which he insisted that I did not know what I was doing was wrong if I had known I would have not done the deed. However critics of the sentence failed to get it overturned and Joseph Fiddler died from illness before he could hang and in 1910 after losing two of their leaders, the Sandy Lake First Nation signed Treaty 5 with the Canadian federal government, ending their freedom and forcing them onto a reserve. So, I mean, it looks like the Canadian government won in that case. They imposed their beliefs and their rule and sort of convicted and, you know, led to the eventual death of two leaders of this last, this last uh, colony, this last, you know, band in the area that weren't a part of the Canadian government. So that's kind of the dark history of Canada that, you know, a lot of us know and we don't really like to talk about very much. Um, so that's the case of Jack Feather, who's a Wendigo hunter. Um, and there was some cool pictures that I actually found online. So that's going to be the, the show cover art for this episode. Um, but I kind of wanted to go more into what Wendigos are. Um, there's a lot in the area, the First Nation tribes and they have a lot of different, I guess, ideas and descriptions and depictions of, of Wendigos. And Wendigos are sort of, I guess, like this mysterious cryptid that people don't really seem to think of as like well-defined. I mean, when you think of, you know, Bigfoot, you know what Bigfoot is. When you think of Nessie, you know what Nessie is. When you think of even Chupacabras, you know, you kind of have the idea of what they are. But Wendigos seem a little bit more mysterious and they often get lumped in a lot with skinwalkers but wendigos are different um, their classic depiction is sort of with the skull and the antlers on them and they're very gaunt and have like a long snout um, so there's a pretty good description of, of one of them from one of the researchers so the wendigo was gone to the point of emaciation its skull had, or sorry, its skin had pulled tightly over its bones, with its bones pushing against its skin, its complexion was the ash grey of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a giant skeleton, recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, it was unclean and suffering from separations of the flesh, and the Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition of death and corruption. So the Wendigo is a mythological man-eating creature or evil spirit from the folklore of the First Nations Algonquin tribes based in northern forests of Nova Scotia, the east coast of Canada, and the Great Lakes region of Canada in the United States. So that's where I live is in the Great Lakes region. Uh, I live right on Lake Superior, you know, the heart of the Great Lakes in northwestern Ontario. Um, though when it goes described as a monster with some characteristics of a human or as a spirit who has possessed a human being and made them become monstrous, its influence is said to invoke acts of murder, insatiable greed, cannibalism, and the cultural taboos against such behaviors. So they are thought to turn humans into cannibals or they sort of eat humans and become cannibals, I guess. <laughs> the creature lends its name to the controversial modern medical term Wendigo psychosis, which is described by psychiatrists as a cultural bound syndrome with symptoms such as intense craving for human flesh and fear of becoming a cannibal. In some indigenous communities, environmental destruction and insatiable greed are also known as are also seen as a manifestation of Wendigo psychosis. So there is a technical psych you know, psychological Term um, syndrome that has symptoms where you create human flesh and fear becoming accountable and it happens a lot in times of severe famine um, among you know tribes and indigenous cultures mainly. In Ojibwe, Eastern Cree, West Maine Swampy Cree, <laughs> Nescapi and Inu lore, Wendigos are often described as giants that are many times larger than human beings and a characteristic absent from myths in other Algonquin cultures. Um, whenever a wendigo ate another person, it would grow in proportion to the meal it had just eaten, so it could never be full. Therefore, wendigos are portrayed as simultaneously gluttonous and extremely thin due to starvation." So, every time they would eat someone, they would just keep getting bigger, and I guess that goes with the insatiable greed and the constant craving for, um, for human flesh to be cannibals, basically. The wendigo is seen as the embodiment of gluttony, greed, and excess, never satisfied after killing and consuming one person, and they are constantly searching for new victims. So it seems like once you turn into a wendigo or get eaten by one, you're just gonna be insatiable and constantly on the look for more people to kill and eat and the the human flesh <laughs> to eat and be a part of that. Um, in some traditions humans overpowered by greed would turn into wendigos and the myth served as a method of encouraging cooperation and moderation other sources say wendigos were created when a human resorted to cannibalism to survive such as if there was a famine Um, humans could also turn into wendigos by being in contact with them for too long so a lot of the times if there was you know a big famine in the area and it got really dire. People could resort to human cannibalism, and that would lead them, you know, I guess the feelings of like being that desperate and that it's sort of an evil thing. And others would see them as evil spirits, and even themselves, and think they turned into into Wendigos. Um, among the Assiniboine, Cree, and the Ojibwe, there's a ceremonial dance is sometimes performed during times of famine to reinforce the seriousness of the Wendigo taboo. The ceremony was performed during times of famine and involved wearing masks and dancing backwards around a drum. The last known Wendigo ceremony conducted in the United States was at Lake Wendigo, coincidentally named, um, of Star Island of Cass Lake, located within the Leech Lake Indian Reservation in Northern Minnesota. So that's sort of a breakdown of Jack Fiddler, the Wendigo hunter, and what Wendigo's actually are. Um, I think they're pretty interesting as far as cryptids and paranormal type creatures go. Um, They have a very interesting look to them with the skull and the antlers and the very gaunt appearance, which I think is, you know, interesting (laughs) to look at as very creepy horror vibe, but they also have an interest, um, an interesting past and culture where, You know they're sort of spawned from cases of famine or severe illness and i think with this story of jack fiddler being a wendigo killer and a lot of people saying that either you know he sought them out or people who were turning into wendigos themselves sought him out to be euthanized before they turned into it is something i hadn't really heard of before like i hadn't heard of people feeling like they're becoming one or thinking that they're going to be becoming one and then seeking out a shaman to sort of perform the rites for them to pass without becoming a wendigo because I guess that's something else too where if they don't pass properly with the the special you know sacred rites performed that they could still become a wendigo so that's you know something I I thought was sort of interesting with this story and to learn about and something like I said I hadn't really heard of before at all so that's the story of Jack Fiddler the Wendigo Killer, Um, hopefully you've enjoyed it and it's a little bit more different sort of topic. Um, You know, not the typical paranormal (laughs) conspiracy type one, but that's again what I'm trying to do with this season. So as well, we have Patreon set up now. You can look for the podcast on there. Um, There's different levels of support, even for $1, which would mean the world to me, help pay for my web hosting fees. That's sort of all I'm really looking to get covered. So you can sign up there, pay $1 a month, get some stickers. I'm going to be mailing out stickers to all the people that have replied recently with them. And then as of this point, it is just going to be for Patreon. So you can sign up, get some stickers, get early access to episodes, get a lot of other fun bonus type stuff that I'm going to be working on. So go over there, go to Patreon, look for the podcast, and please support it. As well, um, you know, if there's anything else that you want to share, want to look for topics on, you know, the show, want to suggest anything, reach out on social media. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode thanks for listening to the podcast as always you can find us on itunes google play stitcher wherever you get your podcast apps just look for the podcast and as well the Podbelly network check them out at podbelly.com on the internet for all your podcast needs <laughs> and wants. and you can find my shop at shop.littlegeekloss.com with all my fun t-shirts as well as everything else you know for me at littlegeekloss.com on the internet check that out as well